1: Previously on the storyteller Murder Most Foul, an unlikely killer is caught. 20-year-old chef Pamela Gourley admits to police she brutally killed her downstairs neighbour, gentle care worker Melanie Sturton.
2: The shock across Aberdeen City was immense. It was the scale of the injuries here and the viciousness of the knife attack involving two young women. And it was just totally unexpected.
1: She confessed she dressed in black top to toe, donned surgical gloves, and armed with her chef's boning knife, made her way down the stairs early on Saturday, the 9th of October, 1999. Melanie had been sleeping on her sofa and got up still in her pajamas to answer the door to her killer.
2: And she described the fact she had the struggle, she had slit Melanie Stutton's throat and stabbed her as well, and eventually had wrapped a duvet around her.
0: Well it was chilling and yet apart from the tears there was no real remorse.
1: I'm Isla Traquair, a storyteller. I was the young journalist who covered this murder, my first of many. And now I'm going to share with you this story, which is still as shocking today as the day it happened. I'm hunting down the people at the heart of this case, most importantly, the killer, to see if I can finally get some answers and discover the truth behind this murder most foul. This is the storyteller, Murder Most Foul, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. The murder of Melanie Sturton shocked the whole of Scotland. She'd grown up in beautiful Royal Deeside near the Queen's residence, Balmoral Castle. At 22 she'd settled into the city of Aberdeen to train as a nurse while working part-time at a care home for the elderly run by nuns. Upstairs lived 20-year-old Pamela Gurley. She too had moved to the city from a rural upbringing She'd had a sheltered childhood on the stunning northeast coast, which is littered with castles and bird sanctuaries. At the time of the murder, I was a 19 year old journalist working for the Press and Journal newspaper, and I too had grown up in the countryside. Twenty years on, I uncovered the tale of two young women, which ended tragically. So I'm about to go and meet Pamela Gurley's former best friend. Her name's Claire Forbes and she's never spoken publicly apart from to give evidence during the high court case. I managed to track her down on Facebook and she said the reason she's willing to speak to me now is because she'd like to give Melanie's mother an insight into who Pamela was. I think the fact that she's a mother herself, her daughter's 20, um, she was just a baby when she was friends with Pamela, I think that's really weighed on her conscience and she's intimated to me that she's got some surprising things to tell me and I'll admit I'm quite curious to see what she's going to say. How did you end up involved in this case? By being friends
3: with Pamela Gurley. When did you
1: meet Pamela? Originally I would have met Pamela
3: in Stonehaven when she was seeing Kev thing, when she'd have been young, 15, 16, and it was just because I knew Kev's sister. So it was just, they'd be in the house, and it'd be, oh, that's my brother and his girlfriend, Pam. And then we didn't become, like, friends, hangout friends until we both lived in the Tilly Drone area, which would have been some years later. We were quite close. I mean, we were, like, obviously, because I, I had Morgan, so I did spend a lot of time in the house, so she would come round and just spend the evening, and, you know, like, we work, we'd go shopping, we'd take Morgan out, just normal things. And Morgan, your Yeah, my have... daughter, she would have been... Oh, God, eight months old when it happened, mm-hmm. so she's now 20. And that's the thing, she was very kind to me. You know, she would always, whenever she came round, she'd always it just be like, oh, a packet of biscuits. Doted on Morgan, absolutely doted on Morgan. Mm-hmm. Just honestly couldn't do enough for her. Mm-hmm. And again, same with Morgan, always had a wee teddy for her, or which when you find out that she was constantly in debt and everything, it's very... You know, but she was given this persona that her life was quite good and, mm. like, yeah, I've got a good job and I can afford to buy you gifts. And She grew up beside Inverbervie in a pig farm and it's such a little area. Everybody knows everybody, you know, like, it, it is just a really small, like, environment. And although Stonehaven and Bervie are, like, t- 10 minutes apart, everybody from Bervie knows everybody from Stonehaven. Like, you can't do nothing out that way without everybody knowing. And everybody knows who you are, what your family is, and where you come from, whether you be a coaster, which is somebody that lives at the sea, or whether you be a chookter, which is somebody that lives on a farm. Very small, tight-knit community down there. And she was generally well-liked. Because she she was quite... It sounds horrible saying it because we found out she wasn't quite kind, but she was quite... She came across as being a kind person, Mm -hmm. kind-hearted. I still, to this day, wonder why... She was so... thing. She she had such an infatuation with me. I don't know if it was because I truly... I was kind to her. I really
1: don't know. Because it was kind of the case that you'd moved to Aberdeen and then she'd moved to Aberdeen. You knew each other, kind of, you know, yeah. she's from the same area as you, mm-hmm. and then you extended the hand of friendship. Yeah. You're a few years older, so it was kind of... Yeah. She maybe looked up to you, do you think?
3: I th- Yeah, I don't want to be big-headed and be like, oh, yeah, she did. But I think she maybe did. Mm-hmm. And then I think as well with things like... Because obviously she... She always kind of said she wasn't that happy in Great Western Road, and that's when I'd said, "Oh well, you know, you can live in my spare room till you get something." And it's not like Morgan's going to need to be in there for a while. And so I don't know if it was maybe just all that. But what was her job, and where where had she worked? She was a chef. She'd worked in, she worked in the Bon Accord Centre, and then she worked in another one that was just round the corner, just past Marshall College. Did she obviously enjoy being a chef? Did she? Yeah, did she, Did she ever cook for you? Once. When she had her flat in Bank Street, there was once or twice I went up and she made. And then there was other times she would she would take, she'd come round, she'd be like, oh, I've got you a couple of steaks from work and a couple of creme brulees. And so she would take stuff back to you. But I think sometimes with, with Pam, it was just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was the job that she'd studied to do, so that was what she was going to do. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said she was hugely passionate about it. Mm-hmm. What did Pam look like? Pam would have been about just over five foot long, darkish hair, but that sometimes she would hit like a colour rinse through it so it would look a bit more brown or a bit like more reddy coloured. But yeah, again, just not like she wasn't ugly, but she wasn't anything stunning. She was just, if I'd say, your average kind of Scottish lassie. Mm-hmm. Just she wasn't overweight, but then she wasn't, you know, she could, some days you'd look at her and think, She could be really pretty and then other days she could look a wee bit moody. Mm -hmm. But I think that just depends. I think we can all be a bit like that. The person that I knew is certainly the person that went up that stairs that night.
1: Claire's recollection of Pamela's kindness were echoed by her school friends, who I interviewed while working for a local newspaper at the time. In fact, they dubbed her the kind one out of the group. Kind is also a word often used by people to describe Melanie. Funny is another Her kindness and humour flourished despite a childhood of many hospital visits. She was born with partial facial paralysis and a clubfoot, which was painfully corrected. But as her mother Susan Patrick and stepfather Paul recall, she didn't let either hold her back.
2: It was quite a difficult birth. I knew that something wasn't quite right. When you were trying to feed her, it was like everything dropped out of her mouth. It was... um, some kind of facial palsy she had, and then she had a club foot as well. Mm -hmm. But you didn't know what it was, Mm -hmm. and it was like the shock. And then I remember when Kev came in to see her, and he was just, whatever, he wasn't very old, because there was just like 18 months between them, Mm -hmm. and the size of his head looked so big compared to to her. But um, no, it was just, um, it was a shock, but it was just like half her face worked. Mm-hmm. And you just had to make sure that she got enough. When she was full grown she was four eleven, but she was really tiny. Mine she she started playing the fiddle, oh my god, and it was horrific. <laughs> and she the box was bigger than her, but oh no, but they gave that up. She liked school company and because she went to the local place playgroup, everybody knew her. They didn't know any okay. different. Kind they knew Good. what she would look like and what she was like and how funny and that she was and shouldn't get a second look because of her face we stayed um, up golf road and at that time there were about five wee boys and three steps behind was Melanie and she she just was with them all the time, she just trailed, trailed behind them, she had a Sunday house it was full of action men and um, she just she just followed the boys because she was the only girl in the street in the letter <laughs> but um she, later when she got bigger, she never walked, well she walked and ran kind of thing, but she did cartwheels all over the place and danced and about. I lived in Balter for most of my life, um, on and off, but it's small. It's really been good for kids, bringing up kids and that. It's, I don't know, streetwise there, but the good, good, it's nice there.
1: So have you, throughout your life, have you seen the royals sort of popping in and out of the
2: shops? Yeah. Years ago, we used to go, the locals went to, you used to get (laughs) fancy dress things up at the castle, and um, the royals judged it. I remember the one we were at, and it was Princess Di, Fergie, I can't remember who else was there, but they were in the full, dressed up for it. And Diane was pregnant at that time. And then we used to go in, and, and it was a thing, you went once, twice a, a week, you got a Wednesday or something, and it was the locals went, but then the IRA stopped that. And then um, when the Ireland, everything was stopped, you couldn't park outside the barracks, you couldn't, uh, we didn't get, we used to go run around about there in the middle of the night, and it was, um, kind of we were allowed to do that, and everybody, balter did all ages but then when that stopped it just stopped so it's more private now and you kind of get up it's something that's they just come and go and you never think it's just part of the furniture now mm. just like you no, know, for july till october and um, it's just it's really busy
1: rather than aspiring to become a princess like some of her friends melanie followed in her grandmother's footsteps working as a care assistant with the elderly and later began training to become a nurse.
2: My mum was a nurse and my mum looked after old folk for years. So Melanie had the same temperament as as my mum. Oh, something I could never, ever do. But she left at 16 and she got a job at Cregard.
1: Now that's quite a thing, you know, for, for a 16-year-old girl to want to work with, uh, you know, the elderly. Mm-hmm.
2: The first, um, I think, the first week there, she sat there with somebody was dying. I could not have done that now, even now. Um, often wondered how she would get on because you kind of protect them. And um, she was, no, she was fine. Eventually got set in it and, and liked it and she was there for years.
0: I'm Claire Law. Um, I've known Melanie since she was a baby. And I went to school with her older brother. And then she worked at the care home where I work. When she first came, she kind of like came to me because she knew me, if you know what I mean. We kind of hung about together at work and I would kind of show her how to do things and all that. But she picked things up straight away. She was she was really good to the residents and it's a lot of the dementia residents always sort of wanted her to like speak to them. She just wanted to be a nurse, just end of story. Just I want to be a nurse and you know was just so determined. Tell me when you first heard that. Um, I had worked a night shift so I was in my bed and my mum woke me up at 3.30 in the afternoon and just said, "Um, Melanie's been murdered. And then that was, it was horrible. And I think, from what I think, um, I got dressed and went straight up to my work and uh, you know, like obviously it was coming on supper time for the residents, but just kind of everything stopped. And it was just, we all just sat and spoke about her and, you know, shared memories. And because she was so young, you know, there was just no need for it.
3: It's Paul Patrick and I'm her stepdad. That was in her
2: nature, she would help anybody, you know, for the sake of like, that night when she got murdered, if Pamela had asked her for the money, she would have given her
3: the money. You know, she didn't have to do what she did. You know, she would have. She was that sort
0: of person. You know, she would give you the last ten pence in her purse. If the girl had like become like a, you know, sort of like like a good neighbour, if she had asked Melanie for money, Melanie would have given her money.
2: I can generally
3: say, I probably raised my voice more the action that's in the cage out there, you know, for yeah. bite like me, but, uh, but no, she was never on her night. she was never
2: had a bad bone in her body, you know, mm. And uh, but she would go away to help anybody, anybody. She's got all them focus, <laughs> sell the big issue, mm-hmm. I don't know how many of them she bought in a week, but I still buy it now, just for the sake of it.
1: And she didn't have a huge amount of money, so she would no. buy the big issue because mm-hmm. she was she kind... Guy. And she'd buy sometimes multiple issues in the uh, same way. The same thing, just, sure oh my not. gosh!
2: Mel, she's this four feet nine bundle of fun. I can see it now. don't well, you just shut up. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. You know.
1: Would you say that you guys were you an affectionate family? Were you vocal in? I mean, saying that you love each other. And I know I'm from the northeast, uh, no. and I don't think <laughs> I got told my parents loved me until I was no. in my had a health scare in my 20s. Yeah. <laughs> that was
2: the first time. I'm like, oh, you just, love me. Uh, it's just like, you know. You don't close, say but it. We, no, yeah. but you knew it was there. Mm-hmm. I remember one thing that um, I am a horrendous cook. I hate cooking. I hate it. Just hate it. And I tried to make something and I put it down and I mind me and said, oh, my God. And she was tiny. And she said, she's trying to cook again. <laughs> and I remember stupid things like that. And I thought, oh, OK but No, it's it's um, I, miss her. I miss her. They're not her stupid
1: brother, things. It? No, it's they're love. They're lovely memories. <laughs> what was it like for her leaving home? Was it was it a, a,
2: a tear for you and a tear for her? To- it was a big thing, but I was so so pleased that she made that big step just to get of mix in. I thought right because Balter Beacon and they were quite she didn't go out a lot anyway, but she pals but. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was nice just to see her, just moving on. I you know.
1: So Balter was quite insular, and this was going to expand yeah, her horizon yeah, in, yeah, in many ways, yeah. with work and with uh, friends. Yeah,
2: yeah. She decided that she wanted to go, into Aberdeen and go to college. So she went in, and we found the flat. And you think, well, Great Western Road, that can't be, that can't be nothing wrong there. And then she got. She was starting to to college and she got a job at Nazareth House mm-hmm. and she was doing part-time there.
1: While Melanie kept her head down with her studies and part-time job Pamela was living beyond her means and had racked up rent arrears. Despite a steady paycheck from her job at the upmarket RSVP bar and restaurant she found herself with no money something her friends knew nothing about. Clare Forbes spent the evening before the murder with Pamela and her then casual boyfriend Chris who was a mutual acquaintance. They smoked some cannabis and then the couple got a taxi to Pamela's bedsit in Great Western Road, stopping off at cash machines where she failed to withdraw any money.
3: I think it was just a normal night I'm sure, but were would just run at my house and I think yeah, we'd had a wee smoke and yeah, Abdi was just quite jolly and happy and. We spoke about Pam coming to live at my house because she didn't like Great
1: Western Road. And When you say a wee smoke, you're meaning a smoke of cannabis. Cannabis, yeah. Yeah. And was Nothing it, ever else. When you would do that socially, would it be you'd get a little bit stoned or totally stoned? Or, I mean, are we painting a picture here of.
3: No, you would just get giggly. High. Giggly, mm-hmm. and you'd have a sit about and have a laugh and have a cup of tea and just be a bit giggly. And, mm-hmm. and she liked to smoke cannabis, but nay to the point for it it controlled her life like because mm-hmm. she went to her work and she didn't smoke at her work and okay, mm-hmm. so there was times in life where you didn't it was just an evening thing when a recreational yeah. like Aye. like having a glass of wine instead. pretty much yeah. exactly like yeah. having a glass of wine Chris was quite he was quite a tall guy he was really quite a tall guy Um he had that I like to call it the Aberdeen kind of bluey white colour to him <laughs> 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 the colour of cold basically <laughs> but yeah Chris as well he was another one that he was such a nice guy and he would have done anything for you and mm. like even though he didn't have much he sell he'd have half for every had with you yeah. you know what I mean he was really kind he was desperately trying to sort his life out mm. he was so trying to be good so he had had a uh, heroin addiction, addiction. Yeah. yeah and he he was doing so well that was the thing and that was the only reason I was friends with him because he was trying to make new friends out with the bad scene of people that he'd been friends with, mm. and he like obviously thought Pam, like me, thought Pam was fine, mm-hmm. thought she was a nice lassie, and I sometimes wonder if it's because some of his life wasn't great, and then obviously her life wasn't great. Is was that mm. just a shoulder to, to lean on for it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Chris probably f- felt that because he was an ex ex junkie and that that many females would look at him, and then here was Pam, a twenty year old lassie. And she could be quite attractive as well when she tried. When they left, everybody was happy. They were like, see you tomorrow. Because we did see each other
1: most days. Mm -hmm. So it was just a natural, right, see you tomorrow, give you a shout. So the following day um, she came back. Was Chris
3: there? No, it was just me and her. Obviously Morgan was in the house. And she came back. She had a big bag, like a carrier bag full of stuff. And she said to me it was our chef's whites and she left it in the kitchen. Now she went, when she left, she got a taxi and then all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, appeared back, a little bit anxious. Oh, I've left that bag, I've left that bag. Now to this day, I still don't know what was in that bag. It was a green carrier bag, but it was stuffed full. Whatever it was, it was stuffed full because I remember picking it up and getting out to her. but She told me it was just our chef's whites. And at the time, I mm-hmm. had no other reason to think you know.
1: Pamela said she'd return the following day, but she didn't. And when the news broke that a woman's body was found at her address a day later, her friends feared she was the victim.
3: It came out in the news on the Monday morning that Melanie, well, at the time there was no name, it was just a girl's been murdered in the, the address. So we instantly thought it was Pam. At the time it wasn't a mobile. I think I was trying to call the house, but Mm -hmm. then I was tried to call her mum's house and had got no answer. But then she phoned me from her mum's house. Because at that point it was still, you just had a phone in the house. It was a cord, you know. So yeah, she'd phoned me. Like it must have been, I think it was a Monday or the Tuesday afternoon. Not long after we'd found out that somebody had been murdered. And at that point we still thought it was Pam. Mm -hmm. It was horrendously kind of like, oh my God. And then, obviously, she got in touch with us and like, oh, no, but it was somebody in my building. Mm-hmm. So were you relieved when she oh, I mean, phoned you? Obviously, at the time, yeah, because mm-hmm. at the time I, uh, like, had no reason to suspect that she'd done it. Mm-hmm. So you was just glad that your friend that lived in that building was OK. And on this phone call, did she seem shocked that it happened in her home? She kind of was just... Obviously, she was playing the game by saying the right things, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I, I honestly can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. And and at the time, because I mean, Aberdeen's near somewhere where murder happens all the time. We were asked so shocked. Mm -hmm. And I just remember the conversation kind of going back and forth, a bit like that, like, oh my God, that could have been you sort of thing. And her saying, I know. She came over. Now, it would have been the Wednesday or the Thursday, because it had been Mm -hmm. after the police had spoke to her. Uh She then came up. And then that's when she stood in my kitchen with my dad, who's not here anymore my uncle Lee and I can't remember if maybe maybe Chris Taylor had been there at that point because obviously he was a friend that visited so and I think maybe caught another guy could call that was my mate at the time and she came in and we'd all been doing that kind of going through scenarios of what could have happened who could have had somebody broken in and You know, like, and I think at that point they were saying there was a lack of evidence. Like, the police were saying there wasn't much evidence and, like, everybody was like, oh, somebody must have, you know, like, worn a boiler suit or... And then Pam joined in with this conversation and came up with scenarios and said somebody must have broken the back door and she couldn't believe she wouldn't have heard it. and, And you would never have known from that conversation that she was lying. She told lies quite easily. They rolled off her tongue. Like, and at the time you didn't realise because it wasn't until everything happened that these things started becoming clearer that Pam was a very good liar.
1: When was the last time that you saw her then? It probably would
3: have been that night because that was the thing as well. She kind of disappeared a bit after that. So it was like all of a sudden she went from being in my house every day to that happening and I think at the time I just put it down to well I wouldn't want to go back to that house.
1: Kind
3: mm. mm. if your neighbour had just been murdered in a communal mm. flat you wouldn't want to go back there. And I think at the time we did just put it down to that. Mm. But now, in in hindsight I think it was probably because she couldn't have kept up the persona quite so much in front of me. I think she would have had to confess to me. Mm-hmm. You know if she'd been round about me more often, after it had happened I think I probably would have picked up on that she was not acting herself. Mm. And she may, if I'd have asked her, she maybe would have confessed mm-hmm. then and there. And I think that's what she was trying to avoid, Dean.
1: Tell me when you heard someone had been arrested and then found out who it was. I got a rude awakening from about 11 coppers coming through my door. But what did you think, though? You've got p- police, as you say, rude awakening. You've got your, your baby mm-hmm. in your home. Eight months old. I'm guessing the first reaction is what's going on uh, here yeah what the hell are you why are
3: you coming through my door why have you kicked my door and like and they they just kept saying we're searching for it. evidence of murder and I said I want to see that warrant and the guy handed me the warrant and I remember reading the warrant and kind of falling back onto my sofa and being like this can't be happening I I have nothing to do with this what what you know like
1: so did your did your at brain the, c- the connect time, the dots? D-
3: no, at the time my brain did not connect the dots. At that point when I was handed that warrant, I still didn't even put Pam in the frame. You know, I, I still didn't. I, and then it was like, I was like, what do you mean? I like, And they were like, well, obviously this is in connection with Pam McGurley. And then it kind of came a bit clearer. But that whole day was just a haze, basically. That was when I found out she'd been lifted for it. They had her in custody. They had Pam in custody. They were, they said they were searching for evidence of murder on my property. Pretty much ripped my par- house apart. They had white police search boiler suits on the works. Then they took me to be questioned. Did they think that she could have left something at your yes, house? Or uh, that you
1: even could have been involved in it? At
3: one point there was. I do think they were kind of angling towards, like, you know, did you know or... but I was just, no. But I knew nothing, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely. I think um, I think they maybe thought that she'd taken the stuff to my house and left it there, uh,
1: which she she may well have done. Yes,
3: well, then this is I still to this day I still think there was something sinister in that bag. I didn't know until the end of the interview, but Pam was in the room next door, and at the end of the interview, I heard her screaming, and they said she's just been charged with murder.
1: In the next episode of the storyteller Murder Most Foul, Pamela Gurley morphs from a kind-hearted friend into a cold-faced inmate. I speak to her former solicitor who accidentally landed the biggest case of his career, and we hear his fascinating account of her emotionless reaction to the harrowing evidence and her 11th hour change of story. The storyteller Murder Most Foul is written, produced and edited by me, Isla Draqueur. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes or Acast. And there's more information about the case on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.